We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can go to their website right now. Take a peek at andyanddon.com. That's all one word, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old archive shows there. Also, ask a question via the listener inquiry button. And don't forget their phone number, 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. You can call now. You can leave a message, and they will return your uh, call. Don and Andy, good morning. Good to see you all. Good morning, morning. Scott. Uh, going to start things off by retiring at 60. Yeah. Can we do this? Absolutely. This is only five years more than Freedom 55. I know. <laughs> it's easy now. It takes you five more years nowadays. I know. Here we are. Inflation it's, on age. That's it. Yeah. It, it, um, you know, th- and this was a scenario where uh, a couple came in to, to see me who were uh, work- working with another financial planner at mm-hmm. another institution. And, um, so I just, it was, I thought I would share with the listeners just sort of a kind of scenario as to how that went with, from our perspective and what are the solutions that we came up with. And so in, in, uh, in terms of background, so this was a couple, they were both 60 years old and they had, uh, they have two adult children and they're both, both, both kids are married and, uh, and two grandkids at this point. Mm. And they have, uh, $1.2 million saved up in RRSPs and uh, their TFSAs at about 50 grand, e- uh, 50 grand total. And their home is worth about 600 grand. They had a cottage worth about 200 grand. And they are going to be selling their business. And after tax, they are receiving $500,000. So their total assets right now are $2 million. $550,000 and, uh, and they have zero debt. So pretty good. You know, mm, when you think about yeah. it, it takes a lot of discipline, first of all, for people today to get to that point at 60, a with no debt, yeah. as we've talked about many a times on the show, uh, Don and I are running into more and more people trying to retire with debt and the problems with that. Um, <clears throat> so I congratulated them on the fact that a, they had no debt, but at the same time, you know, they help their kids all the way along. They help them get educated. They help them get established in terms of a home, et cetera. So not only did they save for themselves and their own discipline, but they were also able to extend that and help uh, help with the kids as wow, well. Wow, good. So, yeah, and ran a successful business. And even more unbelievable, they have a, they can sell it at the end. And they were able to sell it. Yeah, at a lot, the end. A lot yeah. of people that's can right. run it, but they don't have a sale value other than maybe yeah, assets. That's, that's great. Point. That's right. So you know, I I congratulate on that, and 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 they thank me because you know many times people don't always recognize that. In mm. our business, we can tell if yeah. somebody has done a good job along yeah. the way. Mm-hmm, no it is an accomplishment. So now they're hoping to parlay all of this into uh, a lifestyle for their retirement, and uh, and so what were their goals? Well, the goals were about basically becoming uh, snowbirds Mm -hmm. for the winter. So two to three months down south every winter. Um, And then on top of that, they want to travel once a year. So yeah, you know, Florida, Arizona, that's fine for the winter, but maybe some other place, a Europe holiday in addition to that each year. Um, They are both, they're driving two vehicles. So we think about replacing those vehicles and they're pretty, again, frugal on that. You know, every 10 years, replace a vehicle, $30,000 range. And, um, and they want to spend, as I said, about a hundred grand a year after tax. 
that was the budget. So we went through a detailed cash flow analysis to understand exactly where their money was going in, in all aspects. And that's an important factor. And I think too many times uh, planners don't spend the time understanding where people are spending their money. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say, oh, well, you want to spend a hundred grand. That's fine. Let's work it out. But it turns out that they were probably spending about 73000 a year right now. And so the excess is going to be their uh, south uh, being a snowbird yeah, yeah. and some extra travel and some extras. So right. they certainly were adding a cushion on to what would be their normal lifestyle right yeah. now. <coughs> so that's fine. Let's see if we, you know, the goal was, let's see if we can make that work. Find out, uh, A, if you're going to run out of money, maybe that's too much money or uh, B, we'll tell you when it does end and you can decide from there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next step would be come up with some solutions to see if we can stretch that out even further. Um, it wasn't important to them, and this is a key factor too, it wasn't important to them to leave a large estate. And again, I go back to the fact that they had, they really had invested. Already done it, yeah. They've done it along, yeah, all the yeah. way along. They've helped out. Good for and them. So, <laughs> and so the goal was, you know what? We're going to spend the money. And um, at the end of the day, if something's left over, that's fine. We're yeah. certainly not going yeah. to minimize our retirement lifestyle in an effort to leave a, a larger state or, or a, a significant estate. Um, they both, uh, they both had been working and contributing to Canada pension plan, but as usual, you know, only 4% of Canadians actually get the hundred percent retirement income from wow. Canada pension plan. Hmm. So 96% of us end up with some, some amount less than the maximum at yeah. age 65. And in this case, um, they were about 75% of mm-hmm. the maximum and, uh, and of course eligible for hundred percent of old age security. So CPP questions always come up and part of the plan had to be, well, should you take it now at 60? Mm. Should you wait till 65 or should you wait till 70? Mm-hmm. And let's run that to find out what would make sense. And, um, in planning today, we often, we're looking out from a longevity perspective, uh, what would happen if one of you lives till 95, mm-hmm. right? And, and what does that mean in terms of the plan? And then in addition to that, we wanted to look at standard mortality. Mm-hmm. So based on a, a male and a female age 60, standard mortality tells us that he's likely to live to about age 82 right. and she would be age 86. So that would be your, your default. Yeah. And then age 95 would be the next version. What would that look like? And then maybe what happens if he died at 75 mm-hmm. or earlier? And, um, so, you know, quick, some quick math. If you looked at their actual investments, it's about $1,750,000. If they earned 5.7%, that's a hundred grand a year, Mm. right? So that sounds pretty simple, but at the end of the day. (laughs) Trying to find that guaranteed 5.7% Yeah, there's no guarantee on that. Mm -hmm. Plus there's inflation. And then of course we're forgetting the big one, which is tax. Mm -hmm. So they want a hundred grand after tax. So how do we structure that? So in part of the planning process, what we like to do is look at, here's your current situation. So if, if, if Don and I never showed up on the scene and you just kept going along your merry way, what would things look like? And so in running that projection, we found out that they would run out of money at age 82. Mm -hmm. Now that's his standard mortality. So at first glance, well, maybe that's not too bad. You know, so in other words, we're kind of okay, right? And I said, yeah, but the odds are if you live longer, really what that 82 factor, age 82 number means is that you're going to have to sell your house at that point or the cottage, Mm -hmm. you know, something's got to give. Or get a part-time job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Time to go back to work, 82. Um, But, you know, in reality too, what happens is that, you know, 
at age, let's roll that back five years. So let's say you're at 77 and you're looking at your investments and you're going, wow, I'm mm. kind of running out of money. And age 82 is, doesn't seem far away mm -hmm. now. It's only five years away. And uh, so a lot of times people will begin to get anxious about that yeah. and they'll start to cut back in terms of their spending or their lifestyle yeah. because they're thinking, I better stretch it out. Yeah. You know what? I thought we'd spend, but you know what? Now I'm nervous. Yeah. And maybe we don't want to move yet. The grandkids are enjoying the house and mm -hmm. you know, we like having everybody here. We right. need the space. So uh, life happens that way. But anyway, age 82 was the current plan. And uh, so let's go to task and see what we come up with for a new plan for these guys. Well, one thing we looked at right away is that sale of the business, that 500 grand. We could, we, the plan would be to take 400,000 of it and put that into a mutual fund. We call it a T-series which provides something called a return of capital. Mm -hmm. And a return of capital is tax-free. So imagine if you had, uh, well, let's make this simple. So if you had $500,000 and you earned 5% on that money, mm -hmm. so you made 25 grand. So at the end of the year, you have 525,000. What most plans or most people would think about is, well, I'll take the 25 grand, that's part of my income, away we go, part of our retirement, and we've got 500 still sitting there. Well. Instead of doing that, if you take the 25,000 from the original 500,000, mm -hmm. there's no tax to be paid because that was your capital. Right. So what the T-Series does and return of capital structure in a mutual fund is it allows you to separate the earnings and your original capital. Right. And then you can draw down from your original capital. Mm -hmm. So if we divide 25,000 into 500 grand, you can basically take uh, 25,000 tax-free a year for 20 years. So that takes them right out to age 80. Mm -hmm. uh, 25,000 a year, tax-free, right through to age 80. From age 80 on, now all of your money in your investment is considered a capital gain. So anything that comes out is gonna be taxed at uh, half of it tax-free, half of it tax. So mm -hmm. it's still a very tax-efficient way. So after age 80, from age 80 to 95, mm -hmm. then you've only got a uh, tax rate on that money at about um, 10, 12%. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, it's pretty efficient way to do it. So we could look at producing a return of capital on 400 grand at 6.25%. That's our current payout, produces 25,000 a year tax-free for them. In addition, we looked at what would be the estate impact if something happened to both of them right now and their estate taxes on that 1.2 million of RSPs oh, yeah. plus probate tax works out to $666,000, which was a bit of a shock. Yeah. And so part of the plan was how do we get money out of the RSP tax efficiently so that you don't end up paying this huge amount of income tax and we call it the estate shrinkage. <laughs> mm. So. The goal would be from 60 to 65 to take out $40,000 each per year. So that's a total of 80,000 from the RSPs. In Ontario, if your income is below 42,960, you're in the lowest tax bracket possible. So then from the 100 grand that was left over from their investment, uh, 500 grand of sale of the business, that was gonna pay out a $600 a month we call it a systematic withdrawal plan, mm -hmm. so every month. And then for the total for the year would be 112200 The taxes are going to be 11750 mm. Wow. which leaves them $100,450 each year. The rate of tax on that RSP money works out to just under 15%. Nice. So 
that's the key thing to part of this plan too, is how much tax they're paying right. as they withdraw this money. Mm. And then we began to look at, oh, the decision about the CPP. And in all scenarios, when we were running examples, they were better off waiting till age 70 for their Canada pension plan, getting this RSP money out at a low tax rate, uh, kicking in old age security at 65, that we take that, uh, but continue this withdrawal pattern from the right. RSPs. Mm. And um, at the end of the day, we were able to um, stretch out that in- income all the way through till uh, another five years to about 87, at which point they probably again would still have to sell their home. Mm-hmm. But uh, we reduced the estate taxes, which at, you know, in the next uh, 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 16 years, it would go from 660,000 down to 196,000. Mm. Wow. And by the time they were 84, it was down to $66,000 of estate taxes. So virtually nothing compared to what That's was going to be paid. That's yeah. amazing, And the, uh, the final, the the final issue like they that, had, yeah. the final issue they had, which was uh, with their current planner was regarding fees. And so when we come back after the break, I want to talk about what we did in terms of restructuring that. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out the website, andyanddon.com. As well, you can call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. We're talking about fees. Yeah, so just to wrap up, the um, the client solution that we came up with. Another concern they had was regarding the fees that they were paying. And, um, and last year was the first year where all institutions had to provide a reporting of what right. clients' fees would be. So that certainly jumped at them in terms of, well, is this fair? What are we getting for this? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is what frustrates me in the industry is I'm looking at this situation. So these clients had, uh, right now, they had $1.2 million invested in RSPs. And we pulled together those numbers from um, uh, Morningstar gives us exactly what they're paying. And it worked out to 2.47% per mm-hmm. year. And uh, that's $29,640 a year. Wow. And so uh, the solution that we came up with was we call it pooled funds. And pooled funds are like a mutual fund in the same category. It's managed money, professionally managed money. But um, we're able to break apart the cost of operating the fund and the cost paid to us as the advisors. Bottom line is we were able to reduce it down to 1.6%. Wow. So $19,200 per year, a savings of over $10,000 per year in terms of their advisory fees Mm. and MERs. Um, But, you know, I said, well, what are you getting for that? And there was, so there was no financial plan. There was no retirement plan. And even looking at their asset allocation model, um, we discovered there was issues around that as well. They had 85% of their money in uh, stocks or equities and 15% in fixed income, which is an aggressive model. Mm. And when we uh, when we risk tested them, they actually came out as a, a, a moderate aggressive and moderate. Mm-hmm. So they were overweight. They're too risky in terms of their portfolio. And like many times we see, heavily concentrated in Canada with 50% of the portfolio in Canada. So we're able to reallocate the uh, RSPs into a more appropriate mix with a better asset allocation model at a lower cost and save them money along the way. So we're looking forward to a happy retirement for them and uh, and obviously lots of uh, lots of planning to go still in terms of their overall situation. Yeah, and you know, advisors 
and fees are certainly becoming more topical, which is great. You know, Andy and I have been fairly forthright in coming with what are the fees. And generally speaking, larger clients over a million dollars have always been around 2% or less, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how aggressive they were and so forth. Certainly somebody going over 2.5% for a large client would be very high um, in today's day and age. And there's a lot more competition. But, you know, the banks in the past have always kind of said, well, they're expensive. And they didn't ever disclose their fees. Mm-hmm. And it was a great article just this uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I got to say, uh, Rob Carrick, he's, he's been a kind of a mutual fund basher for a while, actually, and kind of investors group for that matter. And so I take it with a bit of a grain of salt, but he's actually done a full circle after looking at what other companies are doing. And, there, and because there's a lot more disclosure, he's realizing that the banks may not be the nice guys they may, were led to believe. Oh, no. Oh, really? Yeah. And in fact, <laughs> the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada totally independent, reported, uh, issued um, just last week, that the corporate culture at the big six banks is sharply focused on selling products and services, and there are insufficient controls to protect the clients from aggressive sales practices. And I end quote. So certainly, you know, they look at trying to get productivity in terms of sales. And a lot of this is done because of technology. It's freed up the staff that they don't have to do some of the mundane things yeah. every day. Yeah. Oh, you can go and try to get them uh, to move them into this GIC term deposit or mutual fund, what have you. And it becomes um, somewhat incentive-based, whether you are a teller yeah. all the way through to a greeter mm. up and so forth to part of their pay was based of putting them in. And that's been an ongoing transition, it seems, with the banks over the last couple of decades. Absolutely. And they're, and they're total vendors. They're vendors of financial products and not advisors. Hmm. Um, and they, they urge, it's, they don't go through the suitability that Andy was just talking about, a risk analysis. And they're really looking after the shareholders and not the customers. Yeah. So when you're finding a, f- a financial planner, you really have to look at, is this person looking after my best interests? Mm-hmm. And is he actually a financial planner? Most are, are product advisors Okay, and and they're missing the other steps of insurance planning, retirement planning, estate planning, which tax is a huge planning. part of it. I've talked oh. about that many times. It's, oh. You have to have everybody knowing what the other person's doing. I mean, otherwise, it's you're all rowing in different directions. Absolutely, and and it adds so much more value if you're if you're simply to be honest, the, the creating the asset allocation model is not the most difficult part of our job. Yeah, Trying to figure out how do you create a tax-effective estate plan, as Andy just went through, mm-hmm. that could save $400,000 in estate taxes or yeah. more. Yeah, uh, Or how do you get your old age security every year? Mm-hmm. Um, does it make sense to, to drain down your RSPs? Does it make sense to take your CPP at what age? Mm-hmm. 70, 65? These are all discussions that we have um, and we work this out. It's not just, oh, yeah, well, the average person is this age. No, this is, in fact, I had this uh, conversation with somebody who was adamant he's going to take it at 60. Um, after he left um, back on last week, he's saying, well, I'm going to have to work these numbers again. Well, basically he's saying, yeah, he wasn't quite right. He's an accountant. Yeah. But he, again, we fall through this fallacy that, well, you never know how long we're going to live. So therefore, I better get my hands on it now. Mm-hmm. And really, who's winning there is not you on yeah. average. Yeah. You may, but I hate to say, it's actually losing because that means you died early. Okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you yeah, don't want yeah. to be the one. <laughs> you no. got your money, Yay. but you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually did three studies that confirmed that a, a true financial advisor is worth between 1.6% to 3% per year in additional return, hmm. which is huge. And with all these, a lot of these commercials that you're trying to downgrade or, or, or downplay rather the amount of value an advisor has, 
Well, there's so many studies that show that's not the case. And I'm not being biased here. This is, these are, not, these are uh, absolutely independent companies that are actually trying to see, okay, what, ad what advice or what adv value do they actually have? It does depend on your situation. And if you're just simply doing a, a very simple um, situation and, and you're investing, you're not using any of the other services. Right. If you're not actually looking at tax planning and financial planning and cash flow, the things we talked about, then maybe they're not worth what you're paying. But first of all, you should make sure they have at least a CFP. Mm -hmm. That's like a starting point. If they walk in the door and they don't have CFP beside their name, I would actually say, well, thanks for coming. But you're not serious about a f being a financial planner. Mm -hmm. That's like level one, okay? Um, and, and, and one is behavioral advice is so huge. This is, uh, you know, we've gone through this now 33 years, Andy and I, and last week is a perfect example. We saw the U.S. stock market go down 1,100 points practically yeah. in two days. Mm -hmm. And then back on Monday, it goes up 700 yeah. points, third biggest day yeah. in uh, history. Yeah. Uh, like that's a lot of volatility. Mm. And that's President Trump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a good, good point. And um, there's a whole, you know, there's a lot of events. Yeah. We've seen so many events over the years. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, the Standard Poor's 500 has averaged um, 10.35% for the last 30 years. So if you just stuck it into an investment fund that did approximately the, the index, mm -hmm. even if there was, say if it did 1% less than the index, you did 10.35% ending December 2016. What do you think the average fund, the actual investor got? They Don't actually know. went back. Mm. Well, I'll tell you right now, it's less. Right. No, this actually surprised me. They actually averaged 3.66%. Wow. The average mm. investor. So if they did a Rip Van Winkle, okay, fell asleep, woke up 30 years later, mm. looked at their investment statement, said, whoa, things have been great. Nothing just going straight up, I guess. 10.35% a year for 30 years. And yet the people that was, yeah, I didn't get that in my portfolio, the ones that are awake mm -hmm. because they're making decisions. So it actually works out there on our, in those thir last uh, 30 years, they've aver only got one third of the return by managing their money, yeah. by moving it around. Mm -hmm. And the average um, person is, is selling their portfolio just short of four years. Mm -hmm. How can you have a 10-year performance when you're people are on, on mass? That's yeah, the average. Yeah. People are doing a lot less. So the average person's holding on to their investment for four years. Wow. You cannot- That's not the game plan. That's not the point. If I knew a client's <laughs> yeah. coming to me and says, I'm going to invest with you for four years and mm. you know, we'll see how it goes. I would Bitcoin. say- Bitcoin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'd say, good luck. Um, I'm not the person you want to deal with yeah. because that is speculating. So and they, they, even the, the past 15 years, same thing. I've gone through all these in different years, but S&P 500, it's all U.S. data, okay? Because Canada just doesn't have enough data to represent this, but we are not that much different, mm -hmm. okay? So last 15 years, same idea. The, um, this was an interesting one, though. Last 15 years, the Standard Poor's averaged 4.98%. Now, you got to remember, that included the 2008-2009 um, crises. Right. There's basically a lost decade, just yeah. the way... Um, the, just the way things happen to mm -hmm. work out. So it was not a great 15-year period. The average mutual fund did 4.04. Okay, the average investor in a mutual fund. Mm -hmm. So an active investor. So not too bad. Yeah. Um, they would, they're only 1% below the, uh, the, mm -hmm. the S&P. This was what the interesting part, the average index fund. So the index fund should do almost identically to the S&P 500. Well, the average in passive index fund 
investor, not the fund itself, the fund would have done S&P 500, 5%. The actual investor did 2.85. They're in it for even less time. They're mm. moving the money around all the time. Yeah. So they actually did over 1% worse than a mutual fund um, because they're just moving their money. Yeah. So why do people continually, and we've done this show for 14 years now, this has happened every year, 14 mm. years. There's never been a case. Emotion. It is. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of different things that make our brains go. So first of all, there's loss aversion. Everybody hates to lose money. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's actually, they've, they've looked at it. It's twice the emotion than the emotion you get when it goes up. Yeah. Okay. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> now, if it, was, if it was the opposite, then we'd all be big gamblers. Yeah, that's okay. true. Everybody's yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Self-preservation, right? you got yeah, to live versus yeah. uh, die happy. Yep, yep. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's very true. And it's right in our DNA. Like, we are yeah. just born. This is from primitive. This is right yeah. to our brainstem kind of stuff, right? And so, anyway, lot, and it's the expectation to find high returns, but they want low risk. Yeah. And, and so, loss aversion needs to be discussed. So Andy's example there where he was only 15% in fixed income, yet he considers himself moderate, moderate aggressive. Well, doesn't jive. Mm -hmm. He's hoping for the high returns, yeah. but he's in- Without the risk. But he, <clears throat> yeah, he, he's actually a lower risk investor. So wait until that market drops and he realized that he's gonna get 85% of the market downturn. Mm -hmm. Like that would, he would be bailing or she would be bailing, whatever. Um, narrow framing, making decisions with, without considering all the implications. There's a really good example. It's a Trump effect you mentioned. So I said, well, Trump's looking like he's going to get in. I'm out of the market. Well, there's so many things to consider. It's very narrow. They're looking mm. at one thing. Oh, you know, oil prices are down. So, you know, Canada's not going to do well anymore. Mm. Um, they make their whole judgment on a very narrow frame. And then they say, well, you know, I'm out. I'm going to ride the sidelines. I don't think I'd be using the behavior of Donald Trump to manage my money. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. And that, therefore, you'd be selling and buying every week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, mental accounting. Taking undue risk in one area um, and avoiding rational risk in another. Because you're, you're kind of saying, okay, well, I lost big there, so I got to really double up on this one. Yeah. Um, got to make it back. You got to. And, and there's that. I, or they say, well, I bought it at this. I know it's down, but I'm going to hold it until it gets back to even. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's just a lousy investment. Maybe you should sell it. Yeah. Okay, it just doesn't make sense. It, it, the rationalization is, okay, just because Nortel's down, you probably should sell it. It's not coming back. Okay. Mm. Diversification. This is really interesting. Seeking to reduce risk. But what a lot of people are doing, they're simply buying different funds with the exact same thing in them. Yeah. So you, you've, you've just used different sources. You've got a an AGF Canadian equity, you got a Butel Goodman Canadian equity, you got a Royal Bank Canadian equity. Oh, that's diversified. You got five funds that hold the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, anchoring, relating to a very familiar experience. And quite often it's something that's happened in your life. So while well, I, my f grandfather lost all his money in the Great Depression, I don't uh, believe in stocks. Yeah. I got um, burned in 2008. I'm never investing in stocks. There's another one. Yeah, there's so many. Or I bought that weed stock. It went up 300%. I want more. I'm <laughs> <laughs> and, and funny enough, that's the other part is you know, Bitcoin or whatever. I hear about all those Bitcoin millionaires. Yeah. Nobody sold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what so, are you waiting for? Once yeah. it hits 19 grand, what are you waiting for? <laughs> you just made a that's thousand times factor. on your money. Yeah. The greed factor has to be on your list somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and so there's a professional management that takes money off the table. Way too much emotion in your own head. There's hurting, copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. 
So after you've seen Bitcoin go up a thousand times, you know what? I think maybe I should get in now. Yes. Yeah. You know, I don't want to miss out. This Take is like my party. money from the weed stocks and put <laughs> it into Bitcoin. There you go. <laughs> so there's this herd mentality, both on the way up and on the way down. Hmm. If everybody's saying, well, I'm getting out, look, there's, this market doesn't look like it's going to correct for lots of years. It's Everybody likes to talk about their rationalizations and they get their neighbors to join in so they feel better. So there's this herding about it. <laughs> Or Canada Pension Plan is a really good one, too. It's, well, I took it yeah, at 60. It's a lot yeah, of chatter crazy? about that. Everybody takes oh, yeah. it at 60. Take yeah. it at 60. That's the time uh, to do it. I'm having such a great life because I took mine at 60. Yeah. And so you should do, too. And, and there's no math. CPP is pure math. Mm-hmm. Like, you should look work out the break-even point. Regret. Treating errors of more seriously than in other errors. So you're feeling so bad about something, you, you make another decision that mm-hmm. isn't any good either. Right. Um, <laughs> media response. There's a ten- tendency to react to the news without reasonable expe- ex- um, examination. The Trump effect's a really good one there. Yeah. When he got elected, or when he was not even fully elected yet. Before um, he was elected, right, yeah. The market was falling during that, yes. that yeah. newscast. It was yeah. down 1,000 points. <clears throat> and then actually people started saying, well, let's just kind of peel back what he's talking about. He wants to lower taxes. Hmm, that's good for the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the things he was talking about are actually good for the stock market. So by the time we woke up in the morning, the market was actually up. Yeah. yeah. I, wait, I, w- I woke up that day and think, yeah. well, 1,000, how many points are we down? Yeah. It was actually up. Yeah. Um, and again, opin- optimism, believing that good things don't happen to me and bad things happen to others. And you, you, even though you're holding this portfolio, yeah, well, I know my neighbor lost money, but that will never happen to me. And I'm an optimistic person. I've done my research on this and this is going to be great. We can rationalize things a million times. Mm. At the end of the day, as my securities prof from Mac used to say, the stock market is a random walk. Long term, Mm -hmm. it does very well. But I used to see, you know, being a McMaster student, we used to have a bar not far. And I used to say, yeah, we always made it home <laughs> after. It might have been a bit of a random walk. Okay? And a that's, random route. <laughs> that's the Different stock market. <laughs> long term, keep it long term and get your emotion out. But that's what a financial advisor does for you. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, leave a message, 905-529-7165. They will return your call. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old archive shows there and also ask a question via the listener inquiry button. It's that time again, tax time. Don't you love it? You're the only guys that seem to smile this time of year. I always like that tax bike commercial with the guy, you know. This is like Christmas for you guys. It's just, you know, uh, so many shiny things in front of you, you don't know what to do with them all. right. It's just so exciting. And, uh, you know, uh, CRA received 25 million tax returns last year that they had to process. What percentage do you think were sent electronically? I would say um, 60%. 
90% really? now. Up to wow. 90% wow. are set electronically. People so want their money fast. I am definitely a dinosaur here because so I am a stickler on sending in paper. But, I, but I'm doing it just because I kind of want to stick it to the right. guy. Cause mm. <laughs> and here's my theory on this, right? Because everything I do, if I send it all electronically, inevitably they're going to ask me for some receipt. Yeah. And I like I love being able to write back, say, oh, I already sent it to you. You uh, got it already. It's all there. <laughs> I washed it. my hands. It's That's done. It. Yeah. <laughs> no more. They no probably more see me. that though. They open up the yeah, file and they go, go oh, we're going oh, after this guy. Or either that or, oh, this is an expert, so I'm not going to waste my time there. Yeah. No. So, and we've actually, they've actually started receiving and processing returns as of February 26th. So they're open for business yeah. if you're ready to go. And uh, the deadline's April 30th. And as a reminder, if April 30th falls on a weekend, a Saturday or Sunday, it is extended to the next date. But no luck for you this year. Uh, April 30th is a Monday. So you will wow. have to file by midnight on Monday, April 30th. That's a good Monday. And isn't you it? remember, yeah. <laughs> you remember what the penalty is, right? If you don't file, is it 10%? 5%. 5%. Plus. 1% per month of any right. outstanding balance. And um, and one thing that's interesting to me, and this is why some people, I get a little nervous when people are getting their returns in around February 26th, you know, if you're doing it that early. And that is getting all your slips. Mm. Because under the uh, CRA rules, if you own a uh, trust, an investment in a mutual fund is considered a trust. These are issuing T3s, a T3 trust certificate, which would be tax certificate for your interest or dividends, whatever, um, they have until the end of March to mm. mail those out. Right. So that's why I'm thinking today, mm. March 31st, they all have to be in the mail. If there's any to be got, they're going to be coming this week to you. Right. But if you file your return and you haven't claimed an amount or you failed to report an amount, and in fact, you've done that for now three years in a row, they will fine you. Really? Hmm. So- if you've got, you know, if, if, at least if you have to have one year in the mm. last three where they've all, if everything was good, they didn't come back to you and say, oh, you missed this. But yeah. how many times have we seen that, right? Yeah, how many times yeah. have you gotten a notice of assessment back and you go, oh, there was an additional T4 yeah. or an additional T3 that yeah. you failed to report. We've adjust, we've reassessed your return. Here's yeah. how much you owe. Yeah. Well, that's fine. But if you did that in the prior two years as well, now you're going to be penalized. Okay. Really? That's good to know. Yeah. So it's I better think I to... might have been red flagged on one of those. Okay. <laughs> so if you've had one of those in the last three years, yeah. that's okay. You got two more strikes, but mm. three strikes, you're out. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because I do have a, a client of mine that files early on the basis he knows he's getting a big refund. And inevitably, those T5s would come after that's the fact, right. and he would always put it in after and do an yeah. amendment. But he wanted to get that, he'd get his return back so yeah. quick, especially when the early birds do it at the end of February. Oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah. But uh, now he's going to get penalized for doing that. And now let's talk about you filed your return and you're ready to get a refund. Well, we know, here's some ideas on refunds, but first of all, some stats. Uh, the average refund last year was $1,750. Hmm. What percentage of people get a refund? I would say half. Uh, I was going to say 40%. 40%, 50%, 57.5%. There you go. Uh, more why, than did half. I not, why did I not listen to you and then <laughs> change mine because <laughs> of that? No, you you're right. Prices, you're you right, said, Scott. You should have said 51%. Yeah. Exactly. Like, when price is right. That was totally, uh, ask that question again. 22, 22.4% have a balance owing. I love those people. And 20% are neutral. They don't owe, they don't pay. And, um, and so what do you do with that refund? 
right? And so for many people, that's almost like an oh, extra... Oh, look, we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like an extra paycheck, isn't it? Yeah. Right? And that's, that's part of the planning process. So a couple of... Here's four quick ideas. Number one, number one, number one, pay down debt. Mm-hmm. And uh, with credit cards at over 20%, Canadians... In more in debt than ever before. I know you've got some debt somewhere that you can repay. Mm-hmm. Not very sexy, not very exciting. Trust me, you'll feel better when it's done. Mm. So just bite the bullet, pay down mm. some debt, and uh, and forego uh, any other <laughs> flat screen any TVs. Fun. <laughs> any fun. Um, here's an interesting one. Consider buying greenbacks. Consider mm. buying US dollars. Mm. So And I'm only saying this because so many Canadians end up going to the States at various times for whether it's a little winter getaway or they're going to a Caribbean place where you use U.S. dollars. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to probably be buying U.S. dollars or spending some U.S. dollars. And so the forecast, and it's hard to predict, but with with trade wars going on, with um, interest rates rising in the U.S., it could be on the horizon the Canadian dollar might be flatter. Buy some American bucks. Tuck it away for your holiday. Now you don't have to put it on your credit card. Mm. Not a bad thing to do. Um, look for some bargains in stocks. We know there's been volatility in the stock market recently. And uh, so some of those good stocks or a mutual fund that you own that may have been uh, may have lost 5 or 10% of its value since the beginning of the year, maybe it's not a bad time to invest into your RSP and get that done as well. And finally, build up an emergency fund. And uh, there's nothing more, I think, uh, valuable to your psyche, your financial psyche, than having some cash set aside that is available in case a what if comes along. Yeah. Maybe it's a car issue, maybe it's a house issue, maybe it's an emergency of another kind or a job loss. Having some emergency cash is always beneficial. So there's lots of ways to spend that, uh, that refund, but um, put it to good use. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc., 905-529-7165. Call now, leave a message, they'll return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check the website out at Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com as well. Call now, leave a message, they'll return your call at 905-529-7165. Talking about about triggering gains. Yes, it's you know one thing is to buy a stock, the other one's to sell one. Mm-hmm. And you know we, we come across clients that have a stock portfolio, and quite often there's a lot of capital gains, so they're very reluctant to sell because it's going to trigger a capital gain. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at the reasoning behind it, other than you know try the tax is obviously why they don't want it. They don't sure. want to pay the tax. The other side of it is well, what if it keeps doing well? And mm-hmm. that's what we just talked about, um, you know, the, the Bitcoin. It's gone yeah. up 1,000%. They still don't sell. Yeah. So there's that behavioral. But nor, if you just look at the tax side, considering we're right in the tax um, part of the season right now, um, one reason you'd want to is the investment's just too risky. If you go back to the Nortel days when Bell Canada spun off Nortel, mm-hmm. and I, I remember talking to about eight or 10 clients saying, you really should sell the Nortel. It's done v- fantastic, but it's going to trigger a big gain. Well, a lot of these clients did not buy Nortel. They bought Bell Canada mm-hmm. and it just happened to spin it off. And it, and Nortel was a, a different beast. It's a it's a tech stock. Yeah. And I would say only two of those people listened to me. They didn't want to, they didn't want to trigger that capital gain. Right. And sure enough, they didn't have to worry about that capital gain after a while. <laughs> okay. Because it was, it went down. So certainly go through your investment portfolio and say, okay, does this match my risk tolerance? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, you probably should sell it. Um, diversify. 
I can't tell you how many people are in a stock plan at work and they have too much of their of their investment portfolio in one stock. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you buy a share, they'll give you 25%. Sure. Um, or, the, you know, they'll subsidize or, or buy, you know, f- dollar for dollar, whatever the stock plan is. Um, and what end up, ends up happening, you end up with a whole bunch of that one stock. Yeah. And now not only do you work at this company, <laughs> but you own their stock as well. Mm-hmm. So if you ever get let go or the company does poorly, um, Enron was a great example from way back. People even had their, their pensions in Enron stock. Yeah. Yikes. So they worked there. Mm. There's quite often it was couples that worked at the same place. Yeah. A husband, wife, they had the stock plant. Everything was on Enron. And again, you, you got to diversify. Mm. And that's safety. You know, diversification, it really means uh, the best definition I ever heard was you'll never uh, make a killing. Mm-hmm but you'll never get killed. Yeah, okay. yeah. Mm, <laughs> and point. I got to gotta go with that. Um, estate planning. As Andy was saying at the beginning of the show is, you know, you got to look at when you can trigger gains rather than paying tax at the highest bracket to say at death. Mm-hmm. 53.5% is, is the tax rate. I know on a capital gain, it's half that rate. But at the end of the day, why do you want to pay at the highest tax rate at death, saving this massive tax bill? If you can pay tax at 30%, and the capital gain would only be 15%, yeah. then why wouldn't you want to do that? So planning your estate um, to take the gains and, and kind of get your income at a level that you know you're going to pay tax sometime, pay it at the lowest rate instead yeah. of saving it for your kids or your heirs. Um, the fourth one is tax planning. Now, it kind of goes with estate planning a little bit, but the one I find right now is old age security because a lot of people have created stock portfolios and they're paying dividends and they're bumping their heads against their income level to about that 75000 a year. So they're just on the verge or they're just starting to get their old age security clawed back. Mm-hmm. And really old age security is almost like another wealth tax. Mm-hmm. You've done so well. Thanks for saving for your yeah. retirement. You know what? We're going to tax you a bit more. Mm-hmm. And so it's a bit of a disincentive. So here you have this, this stock portfolio and you can't even sell anything because you're going to lose more of your more of your old age security. On top of that, dividends are uh, it, it's kind of tricky because dividends are grossed up by thirty eight percent. So if you've got, for example, uh, ten thousand dollars in dividends, well, those ten thousands there's a gross up of thirty eight percent. So another thirty eight hundred dollars is added to your income. Yeah, you didn't actually receive this. This is just a fictitious thirty eight hundred. Hmm. So even if your income was at seventy five you've now got this excess amount and you're paying, you're losing your old age security on income you didn't even receive. Yeah. So dividends are tricky. You got to really watch them. So a, a perfect example, I let's say I had a half a million dollars in a stock portfolio earning 4% dividend. So therefore it, it's paying a $20,000 in dividends. Your gross up, you end up at 27,600. So now you are, your income's at 84,600 all because of the gross up you end up losing $1,140 of old age security. And therefore, and you're already in that kind of that clawback zone and now you've got no wiggle room. Mm. You can't sell anything. You can't earn any more money because you're going to lose more, more of your old age security. Right. So what quite actually makes sense, and it's hard to say, but you may want to trigger a big game one year. Just bite the bullet. You're going to pay the tax sooner or later. So, for example, let's say there's a $200,000 capital gain right now. So, why the heck would I want to you know, pay tax on $200,000? Well, first of all, a capital gain, it would only be $100,000. Mm-hmm. Well, you, now you're going to pay maybe 
you're in the 43% tax bracket. Well, it's you're going to pay probably 53 if you keep it waiting. Yeah. Plus, you're losing your old age security every year as your income continues to creep into that bracket. Right. So if you free up that, bite the bullet, you lose your old age security for one year, then you got some wiggle room. And we can start to draw down your RIFs at a higher level and not and not pay the high tax. You can start triggering capital gains and not pay the high tax. It It's so much freer. And what Andy had talked about earlier, about T-series, you take that 500,000, move it in T-series. Now you can get a return of capital for the next 20 years. And that gives you a lot more freedom <coughs> to have some really good tax planning. And what you're, you're very handcuffed. So if you have a portfolio, that is handcuffing you because you really don't want to sell anything because you're going to lose your old age security. You need to see a financial planner. You have to see the pros and cons on should I sell and just wipe up my OAS for one year or should I kind of just go the way I am now? We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. As well, The phone number is 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They will return your call. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see you next week. Awesome. Enjoy tax season, everybody.